Today's show is brought to you by Pride of Bristol Bay, where you can get truly sustainable, high-quality, nutritious Alaskan sockeye salmon delivered right to your door. Pride of Bristol Bay's wild salmon is sustainably harvested in the pristine waters of Bristol Bay, Alaska. Their focused team of fishermen are committed to the highest quality and handling standards at the point of harvest, creating the unsurpassed quality and flavor you'll find in every one of their wild sockeye fillets and portions. Each case of their wild salmon is labeled with the name of the Bristol Bay Fishing District in which the salmon was harvested. It's the ultimate in traceability. Boxes of supremely fresh frozen fillets and portions of the highest quality salmon are delivered to your door, skin on and already deboned. It is hands down the best salmon I've ever enjoyed. You can learn more about Pride of Bristol Bay and support their important work by ordering your first box of frozen salmon by visiting their website over at prideofbristolbay.com. And for the month of October, make sure you submit the discount code FEDANDFIT. That's one word, all lowercase, at checkout. Welcome back to another episode of the Fed and Fit Podcast. I am your host, Cassie Joy Garcia, the owner, author, nutritionist, all those good things, blogger, podcaster behind the brand Fed and Fit. And today we're back with another reader reverse interview. And for the hundredth time, I apologize to longtime listeners, but I'm going to explain briefly what a reverse interview is. A fed and fit listener slash reader will write in with a great question, and instead of obliging them via email, I invite them to come on the show to ask their questions so we can have a nice little dialogue with the hopes that somebody out there can also benefit from the conversation. So today I'm welcoming Bridget onto the show. She lives in a small town in Alabama where she is a research assistant. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Cassie. I am super excited to be here and... I'm just, I'm super pumped to jump into these questions. Yeah, me too. I know you've got a list of them, so let's get after it. And feel free to tell folks a little bit about yourself if you want um, beforehand so they kind of know where you're coming from. And then uh, and I'd love to hear, dive into a little bit more deeper conversation. Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, I'm originally from Virginia. I went to Virginia Tech, go Hokies. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I basically... Um, My senior year of college, I was really struggling um, kind of with the food that I was trying to eat. Um, I thought that I was eating healthy during the week. I was in a weight training class. um, And then on the weekends, I just, you know, what every typical college student does, um, just drank way too much and um, ate way too much. And um, it was honestly making me feel horrible. I thought that it was normal for my stomach to hurt, mm-hmm. like con- like twenty four seven, basically after every single meal. And uh, once I graduated and got a job and kind of had to learn how to cook for myself and do things pretty much independently, um, I decided that that lifestyle was over with, and I needed to figure out um, kind of what what was causing my stomach issues and how to feel as best as possible. So. Um, around last October, um, I started eating paleo, mostly paleo. I still don't eat 100% paleo. Um, it's definitely a slow transition for me, but, um, I just, I feel so much better and I feel, 
absolutely fantastic. And um, so, yeah, this is kind of my, my, uh, the middle of my journey. I still have a long ways to go, um, but I'm definitely taking big strides towards where I want to be. Awesome. Yeah. So um, my first question, I guess, is about the infamous gluten um, (laughs) protein. (laughs) And I guess I'll just read off um, what I wrote in my email. So my biggest struggle is that um, I don't think, at least that I know of, I don't seem to have a gluten intolerance. So I was wondering what your opinion was on um, deciding when to eat gluten and whether it's worth it or not, if you don't have an intolerance. Um, Because something that I've noticed with these elimination programs and along with yours as well, which I'm obsessed with the book. um, But it seems that most of these food groups that we're trying to eliminate to see how our body reacts to them, um, a lot of people can add in, in small doses, as part of their like perfect you plan or afterwards. Um, so like corn or, uh, dairy and stuff like that. But as far as, um, gluten is concerned, that one, I, it seems like a lot of people just completely steer clear of that. So I guess I was wondering what your thoughts are on, you know, if it's something that we should completely steer clear of, um, even if we like don't have a gluten intolerance or, um, if it's something that we can enjoy, in moderation? That's a really, really good question. And the answer is going to range across a wide spectrum, right? It sounds like you're definitely at one end of the spectrum in terms of not sensitive, not sensitive to wheat gluten. Um, I would say that for myself, that is unfortunately not the case. For mm-hmm. example, um, I've actually never been tested for celiacs, mostly because I don't want to spend two weeks you know, glutening myself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I am extremely sensitive. So I think the spectrum ranges dramatically, you know, in there. And I am one of those nutritionists that really likes to recommend, it's not so much about honing down the, the few foods that we can eat, so much as it is about healing our gut so that we can eat as many foods as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if I could personally get away with eating wheat gluten products, I guarantee I would. I guarantee I would occasionally go for it, but I would see them as occasional indulgences versus a mainstay in my diet the same way that I see corn. Right. I don't have an intolerance the same that I do to wheat gluten as I do to corn. Right. Mm-hmm. Or to dairy but I still treat them on the occasion, you know, sort of the exception to the rule. I probably have corn maybe once or twice a week, usually via corn tortillas um, and dairy occasionally more now since I'm pregnant and my body's a little bit more tolerant of dairy for whatever reason. But I'm kind of giving that example to kind of, to give you an overview. You know, it sounds like wheat gluten to you may be what corn is to me. And even though I don't have, show up necessarily as completely intolerant necessarily to um, those foods doesn't mean that they become a mainstay in my diet, but they do occasionally rotate in. So why aren't they a mainstay if I don't have a noticeable sensitivity to them? Well, Mm -hmm. the sensitivity, again, is is relative. There could be some sort of a reaction that you're not noticing, but at the end of the day, those are inflammatory foods. 
And that's really what it boils down to, right? If we're interested in long-term gut health for optimal digestion, optimal nutrient absorption, right? Then we want to really help to protect our gut as much as possible by putting mostly anti-inflammatory foods in and trying to limit the number of inflammatory foods um, that also come in. So that's kind of how I see it. Even though you may not be extremely sensitive to wheat gluten, it is and it's still wheat is still an extremely inflammatory food. Um, and so it's one of those, if you can get away with enjoying it moderately, I go for it. You know, I, th I don't think there's really anything wrong with that. Um, I just would word of caution to folks who think that they can have it all the time. They probably, if they have it over and over and over again, start to notice other symptoms and other foods may start to bother them because of the damage to the gut, right? Gotcha. Caused, caused by this really aggressive protein. So that's kind of where I hope that makes sense, but that's kind of how I would boil it down. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and I was wondering when did you, I guess, um, figure out that you had a gluten intolerance, even if it's not, um, cause I, I think in the past you've said that like you get headaches or you feel fatigued mm -hmm. and those kinds of symptoms are hard for me to pinpoint, I guess. So I was wondering how you were able to determine with such a variety in your diet, um, how it was gluten causing um, those symptoms? That's a great question, Bridget. Uh, it really, it's because I had a lot of data points. And I'm a really slow learner, so it took me <laughs> even more data points probably than it would take a more reasonable person. Uh, and a, one way to track that is through journaling. It does not have to be a very detailed food journal, but just let's say you do have a headache right? You wake up one morning and all of a sudden you have one and you think, gosh, where is this coming from? This doesn't make sense. Maybe hormonal cycle wise, it doesn't make sense. Other things aren't quite adding up. That would be a really good time to pull out a journal and as far as you can recall what you ate in the two days prior. Okay. Okay. And write those things down or you're feeling especially fatigued or just you know not sharp. Your mental acuity is pretty low in whatever you're working on. Your focus is you're having a really hard time zeroing in and getting into the zone in your work. Um, your workouts are suffering. You know those kinds of things, and we usually see them in hindsight, right? Those those symptoms. And what I would do is I would sit down when you have one of those that confronts you. Try to write down. Try to recall what you've done, what you've eaten and what you have consumed in terms of water and, and rest in the last 48 hours and start highlighting similarities that start to pop up, okay? So for example, the other day, I, um, I had a work day here at my house and it was, when was it? It was Tuesday and on Monday, I we were driving home from being out of town and my husband and I drove through and I got a bunless burger from in and out <laughs> Not a mainstay in my diet, but I but I know that the way that they prepare it. They're actually usually pretty celiac friendly um, There if you ask a few strategic questions. So anyways, I got my bunless burger and I also got a french fry and the next day I had a headache hit me that has been it is, for me, it is my food intolerance headache. I can pinpoint it right from a mile away. I know exactly what it is now. 
And what I've realized, because I've started to track, especially with pregnancy, because the body chemistry is even different now, but I started to track what the heck is triggering these 24-hour headaches. It's not a migraine, it's just a, or if it is, it's a very mild one, but it's a 24-hour headache. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's turning out to be probably the oils that, that some fast food or restaurants are cooking their foods in, right? Mm-hmm. And so it just, I, I had to have the headache and then rewind the clock, look at what I ate, what stuck out as weird. I also, I have, was in College Station, Texas for an Aggie football game. And, you know, I tried a new kind of gluten-free bread that we bought at the store, but that really didn't make sense because the ingredients are exactly the same as what's in another bread that I try, that I usually have, you know? So Mm -hmm. I started just process of elimination. What is different and what could have caused this? It was, I was not dehydrated, right? I had gotten plenty of sleep. So what could it have been? It also could have been hormones, of course, but yeah. Um, I've noticed a correlation with the oils. So, you know, it's, it's that kind of deductive reasoning, that kind of processing where right down when something pops up that could be a symptom, even if you're tempted to brush it off and say, oh, well, you know, I just, I'm just a little puff. Like I just, something that would happen to me is I would just get a little puffy or a little bloated. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so easy just to write that off and say, oh, I'm just a little bloated today. Or maybe I'm just gaining weight, right? That's what we always want to tell ourselves. Um, But at the end of the day, it's probably some sort of an inflammation response, inflammatory response to maybe something that you ate. And so I would just stay diligent to those symptoms and see if you can't sniff out a cause. Awesome. That's great advice. Um, Cool. So another question that kind of stems off from that one Um, And this might be a dumb question, but my mom's side of the family, including my mom, they have a lot of stomach issues. Um, Like my Grammys had to eat gluten-free for a few years and, you know, IBS, all that fun stuff. So I guess I was wondering if, for me personally, if I avoid those types of inflammatory foods, will that... Um, help me in the long run pre- prevent those kinds of issues from popping up with me, or is it some is it a matter of genetics where I'm kind of already um, predispositioned to it? In your opinion? Ooh, what a good question, man! You came armed <laughs> with some brain busters. I would say, Bridget. So you're going to get probably a different answer to you know all the different nutritionists you talk to. Mm-hmm. My personal bias, my professional bias is towards your first guess. Okay. Um, I, now, it's kind of the old adage. Everyone has heard this, this phrase, you know, genetics load the gun, but we pull the trigger, mm-hmm. right? So you might have some sort of a genetic predisposition to an intolerance that can turn into a chronic condition. Okay. Right? You might have a genetic predisposition to that. In fact, I would probably say that you do. But that doesn't necessarily mean, but let's say, let's say you have two folks walking side by side. Both have the same genetic predisposition. Let's say you have an identical twin. Okay. And um, one of you decides to just live as if, you know, that's just the way life is going to be anyways. You know that you're going to have these conditions later on in life and you know you're going to have to deal with it. So might as well just eat whatever the heck we want now. And then the other one 
tries to follow an anti-inflammatory protocol as much as possible. Protocol is just a really fancy word for it's just the way you eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. So you just avoid certain foods. You try to think critically about like, I'm just going to really try to take really good care of my body. And at the end of the day, when you get there, let's say fast forward 20, 30, 40 years, the person who took really good care of their body may, their finger is probably putting less pressure on that trigger than the other person who's ready to just go ahead and pull it and and jump into these chronic conditions. So mm-hmm. I think lifestyle has a big impact on how much we respond to whatever our genetic predisposition is. I'm genetically predisposed to high blood pressure, high cholesterol. Um, oh gosh, what are all of them? Cancer, yeah. <laughs> disease, Alzheimer's. You know, a lot of those things, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, um, a lot of autoimmune diseases run in my family. And now I really didn't know that until I was, or I didn't, think the relevance that that had over the decisions I make in terms of my lifestyle in my 20s and 30s, right? But it has a big impact because in making the changes, like you were saying earlier, having done this for a little while now, you feel great. In making those same changes that I made as well, my body started to feel better and I started to get healthier overall and more able to process and endure certain things so that maybe I would not have if I were in a sick state if that makes any sense. So I would say that you're, we're all better off, definitely better off pursuing an anti-inflammatory life plan so that we are really prepared to handle whatever our genetics have to throw at us later down the road. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense for sure. Good. Yay. Um, (laughs) Okay, so another one of my big questions um, is about kind of like a pre-workout slash mid-afternoon snack. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've gotten really used to having some type of bar, whether it's an RX bar or a Laura bar or however you say that word, um, before my workout, which I usually do once I get off of work. Um, and I've heard a lot of people say that you really shouldn't get in the habit of eating those kinds of bars on a daily basis and they should be treated more as an emergency snack. Um, but I've also heard from other people that it's completely fine since I'm using it as a pre-workout meal. Um, it's totally doable. And in the past, I don't, I haven't exactly pinpointed the reason behind this, but in the past I've tried when I try working out without that snack, um, my stomach actually starts hurting and cramping up really bad during my workout. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I was just wondering um, kind of what your thoughts are on those types of bars, if they're okay to have every day or if it is you know, too much sugar or um, I should be trying to focus on eating more real food uh, as that pre-workout. Another really good question. So this comes down to personal, you know, what personal judgment call on your part. If so, let's, let's look at it in terms of priorities, priority. What, what's more important going to the gym and getting through a workout and feeling great or having an ideal pre-dinner, let's call it a pre-dinner snack, right? Mm -hmm. 
So what's more important, having the ideal perfect pre-dinner snack or going to the workout and getting in a good workout? I would actually prioritize in this case the workout, right? And yeah. if that means that an imperfect, I'm going to qualify this in a second, but if that means that an imperfect snack is what helps you get there, I'm all for it, you know? Okay. So I, I love RX bars also, and I have nothing against them. I have nothing against Lar bars. I may be saying it wrong too. Who knows? We have <laughs> out there. Um, you know, I, I think that they're great. I personally eat, gosh, I probably have half of an RX bar every morning. It's not an ideal snack. And the reason I have it is because I, I like to have a cup of coffee when I wake up, but I don't necessarily have my whole breakfast already made but I like to have food with my coffee. And so I will cut an RX bar in half because I really, I know nutritionally, I really only need half of a bar at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And I will have half of a bar almost every morning. Now, if I had my act really together, the best thing would be a hard boiled egg, right? Just having yeah. it ready to go. But that's not always reality. You know, that's that hard boiled egg and maybe a small handful of grapes is what I've got in my fridge right now. So that's what comes to mind. But, you know, that, of course, would be ideal. A little bit of fat, a little protein, maybe a little carbohydrate right before your workout would be ideal. Of course, it's preferable that it comes from food that you prepared, mm -hmm. right? that it does not come out of a package. Of course, that's preferable. But at the end of the day, if that RX bar is what empowers you to go to the gym day after day and get a really good workout in and feel good during your workout. And then you go home and you're not starving because you didn't skip the pre-workout because you were afraid of having another bar. So you made really, you know, not great dinner decisions because you were just too hungry. Right. Like mm -hmm. in that scenario, have the bar, have the bar every day, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and if you have it in you, maybe to prepare snacks, to prepare hard boiled eggs, to bring some turkey, uh, to bring some nuts with you, just, you know, whatever works for you and your, your special, your taste, uh, you know, cater to that. But if that, if that doesn't play in, it doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. Okay. I get, yeah, I was, I was just wondering if, you know, if it was kind of hindering my I'm not training because I'm not training for anything, but my workout, if I was eating yeah. that kind of bar every day versus, you know, a hard boiled egg or something. But, um, I think in the grand scheme of things, of things that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, if you really want, if you want to break it down, you can maybe experiment with half of a bar. RX bars, they do have a good amount of sugar as do Lara bars and it's sugar mm. in the natural form, right? They're both made with dates. But yeah. I would, uh, so maybe try experimenting with cutting the bars in half and see if that gets you through the workout. Um, and that would be, that would be an ideal bite in my mind would be half of a bar. And that way it saves you money also in the long run if it winds yeah. up for you. Um, but maybe try something like that just so you aren't getting a huge burst of sugar right before a workout, right? Your body um, can start to become a little bit more fat adapted at the end of the day mm -hmm. versus sugar adapted metabolically waiting for that punch of sugar. Uh, but at the end of the day, again, if that half of a bar doesn't cut it and you're 10 minutes into your warm up and you're like, Nope, <laughs> this is, this is yeah. not going to work, then eat the rest of it. Awesome. Okay. That's definitely something I will try doing. Awesome. Um, Okay. I think I have two more questions. Um, 
So this one is related to my period. Um, and so I basically, long story short, I haven't had it for a, f a few months, probably close to six months by now. Um, and just completely out of the blue, uh, stopped having it. And so I was wondering from your standpoint, um, if everything is, you know, all the tests have come back fine, all of that. Um, and I'm not, I'm kind of not wanting to, um, have to take a pill every day to force it to come back type mm -hmm. thing. Um, so I guess I was wondering if you had any suggestions, uh, nutrition wise or, um, related to how I work out. Um, if there's kind of things that I can do to, um, naturally get it back. This is a really, really good question. I don't think I've ever talked about this on, <laughs> on the blog before. Um, so I would, and so let's assume, like you said, you've, you've been to the doctor. Yes. And you've been through all the tests. So Correct. for anybody listening who may feel like they, uh, they identify with this as well, that's going to be your first step is to go to the physician and go ahead and get some tests run just to make sure to rule out, right, more, um, yep. more problematic uh, causes. So I would say from a holistic food perspective, right? What are we going to do that can really help our body calm down? So sometimes our, our cycles will, our periods will stop sometimes when we're in a state of stress. Okay. okay. And it could be linked somewhat to adrenal fatigue in a little bit, but let's say, would you say that maybe have your workouts become more intense in the last six months? Is there any sort of a correlation there? Um, I would say, I don't think they've become more intense. I have tried to, um, get up and do, I mean, ideally I will, will do cardio in the morning and then weightlifting after work. Okay. Um, so I, before I, I probably only did weightlifting after work. Um, and so I have been trying to get up before my, you know, just a little before my alarm in the past couple months to either go out on a run or even just walk um, or do yoga or something in the morning, but, um, but that's about it. Okay. That's good. And how many days a week are you doing that? Um, getting up in the morning as well. Yeah. Um, probably anywhere between three and five days a week. Okay. And then how many days a week are you going to your weightlifting class? Um, I, I try to, so I have been trying to take more rest days, more active rest days. Mm -hmm. Um, I would usually probably weightlift five days a week. Um, and then do like a long run or something on Saturdays and then try not to do anything on Sundays. But I have been trying to do less, try trying to only lift four times a week. Um, but sometimes it's, it's either four or five usually. Okay. Yeah, got it. And then three to five of those, you're waking up in the morning for some sort of a dedicated cardio. Correct. Okay, awesome. Uh, that helps a lot. So it could be for a period of time, and this would be something that I, it sounds like you have a routine that you love, right? Mm -hmm. um, that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. I want to do this. I'm definitely trying to tweak it. There are my morning routine kind of does vary a lot, but, um, I really do like getting up before work 
and just doing something. And I have been trying, you know, to do less or sorry, more low impact exercises in the morning, Mm -hmm. um, to see if that helps. So whether it's just, you know, a meditation with some walking or doing some yoga instead of going on, you know, a sprint interval run or something. Um, I have been trying to tweak it a little that way, but I also really love running in the morning and I feel my best when I'm running, when it, when it is before work. So, Mm -hmm. um, it is kind of hard mentally for me to try to, um, yeah, exactly. Like, cause I know a lot of people say, Oh, you might, you might be running too much. You might want to stop running. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of something I'm struggling with currently. That's, I guess it's a very reasonable struggle. Uh, I went through something very similar when I was training for marathons and crossfitting and yoga Mm-hmm. I, my schedule, I loved it. Um, yeah. And, and it, and it was, I get it. I get not wanting to give any one of those up. So what I would recommend doing, I won't, I'm not going to pick on any one of those activities. Um, because it's all, it's going to be what, whatever works for you. It could be that your body is just in a state of stress in general, and you can tackle it in terms of, um, how you're exerting yourself. And then of course, what you're inputting in terms of nutrition, right? So we'll talk about, we'll talk about both sides, how to maybe tackle it from both angles. And then there's also just in general wellness ideas, um, sleep and hydration. I would assume if you're, if you're working out this much, you're probably, you know, just tanked at the end of the day. Um, and you're eating well and it sounds like you're active. So I would assume that your sleep is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I've, that's another thing I've been trying to put a big focus on is I definitely try to get, um, ideally eight hours of sleep a night, um, sometimes between seven and eight, but usually no less than seven. Perfect. I figured as much. Um, okay. That sounds good. I don't know why I assumed that, but that's what my instinct said. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, it's Um, all, it's all based off of, uh, the beginning of your book. I just, devoured that section. I was like, I'm going to do all of this stuff. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you're the best. Okay. So I would say, and this does not have to be a forever thing, Bridget, right? I would look at it as an experiment to see if we can get it to come back. Um, And again, looping in your physician as often as you feel comfortable, Mm -hmm. but from just a very uh, soft, not soft, but from a, from a lifestyle holistic approach, some very easy things that we can do that aren't going to be very extreme are, I would say, let's say between your, let's just say on the, on the long side, the five workouts, uh, five weight lifting mm-hmm. plus a long run. So we're at six plus let's say go in the middle four, um, early morning, some sort of activity. So we're at about 10 workouts a day, a week. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, even though some of those are walks combined with yoga, combined with meditation, I would still just for the sake of this, of this conversation, let's lump them in there. Um, I would pick, actually, that's not fair. Let's go ahead and do, let's do the five weightlifting plus your long run. So we're at six plus let's say two of those mornings are runs. Okay. So we're at eight real workouts where your heart rate is elevated a week. Mm-hmm. I would try to, to reduce that down. I don't know which one you're going to pick. It's up to you, but try to reduce that down to four to five. 
a week. Okay. Okay. Now I understand the love of the ritual and wanting to go and do something. So I think restorative yoga, like a Hatha yoga class would be a really good one. I wouldn't jump into Bikram or Ashtanga right now because that would, that would qualify as a more intense workout. Um, I would think you can have as many easy restorative kind of activities as you want to sprinkle in there, but try to keep your real deal workouts between four and five. Okay. Okay. And maybe that is one of those is a long run. Three of those are weightlifting and one of them is a midweek run. Okay. Okay. And I would give yourself two full rest days. And that's going to be probably one of the harder parts. Mm -hmm. If you're really used to getting up and going, um, I would not do them back to back. Just, I, I feel like we might be birds of a feather a little bit and that would mess with my psyche a little too much. Mm -hmm. Um, so pick maybe a midweek day that works a little bit better for your schedule to give yourself a break. And, and you can go for a long walk that morning, but try not to do anything that gets your heart rate elevated. Um, and then on the other day, again, another full day of rest. So no, not even a jog, no light running, no, um, moderate to intense yoga classes. So I would try to limit the workouts to four to five for a period. I'm talking maybe one to two months, just see what happens and see if we can get it to come back just from the, from the exertion side of things. And that's really the only reason we're doing this is trying to temporarily reduce stress. And then when it comes back, we can experiment with adding things back in. Okay. Right. And then you can go from there. So I would say that's one thing to do. Now from the food side, this is the really fun part. Um, I think that some things worth doing and without knowing what you're currently eating, I'm sure you're on top of it all. Um, but I would place a focus on fruits. I would try to up your fruit intake across all the different categories, not just berries. You know, I'm partial to berries. But, you know, try to get in some of those tropical fruits. We're really trying to up our vitamin C, sprinkle fresh lemon juice on, on as many things as you can, really just for that vitamin C punch. Um, try to get in as at least one really dense serving of cooked leafy greens a day, right? Okay. So yeah. a full cup of steamed spinach or sauteed kale or something like that at least once a day. And then I would try to make it a point to have, um, I think, I mean, iron's important. You can get some of that from the spinach and the leafy greens. Uh, of course, beef is going to have a, be a really good source of it. So if you're open to eating red meats, then I would make it a focus every week to try to get in a couple servings of red meat where you can. Okay. Um, try to pair that with vitamin C. It'll help with uh, absorption. And then I would every single day try to get in some sort of a really generous serving of a starchy vegetable. So maybe that is a a big, every night for dinner, you have a a medium-sized sweet potato, you know, or you have with breakfast half of a plantain, you know. It would be even better if you have that with two out of three meals a day, um, but definitely make it a priority to get it get it in at, in at least one of them. Okay, so that would be a place to start. Start snacking on fruit. Try eating a little bit more fruit as much as you can. Uh, fructose can work wonders for women's health, 
And then I would, I would make it a point to get in a, a cooked cup of leafy greens, cooked just so we can get in more, right? Mm -hmm. And if you sprinkle a little fresh lemon juice on it at the end, then nutritionally you're making up for what you might have lost in the cooking process. Um, <clears throat> and then the red meat would be great if you're open to it, especially grass-fed uh, pastured sources. Mm -hmm. And then the starches. Awesome. Yeah, it definitely is hard um when you're not where you want to be um i guess long term mm -hmm. um to to dial back and try yeah. to you know you know what i mean and eat more starchy vegetables and more fruit and stuff like that but um but i also think i need to realize that um i need to listen to my body and figure out kind of what it's asking for absolutely so. and you know what you might even find that your body responds positively Mm -hmm. to you may just be someone who's a more carb tolerant person. And so you may find that by cutting back a little bit on workouts and by eating more carbohydrates, magically your body starts to fall into a form that you feel more comfortable with. Mm -hmm. My Julie Bauer is a really good example of that. If you've ever read her testimony over at paleo MG, but that's essentially what she did. She cut back on the intensity of her workouts and started eating more carbs. That's those, that's the highlight reel. But she did essentially those two things, and all of a sudden, her body composition changed dramatically. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you, you know, it, it's worth a try. Yeah, definitely. No, that's awesome advice. I will, I will definitely try that out. And you said to do it for one to two months? Yeah, I would, I would start with one month, see how you feel, um, and then, but definitely try to stick it out for two. Awesome. Cool. So I just have one more question. Okay. Um, if that's okay. And, yes. um, so I tend to eat bigger breakfasts. Um, and I know that you're a big believer in three square meals a day. Um, and so I guess my concern is I'm trying to, um, figure out if I'm eating, if my portion sizes are a little too big, um, because I like to eat between, I usually eat breakfast between six and six thirty in the morning. And, um, you know, I, I don't really get hungry until sometimes five or six hours later. Um, and at that point, sometimes I'm even not hungry by 1230, but I'm just like, Oh, you know, it's lunchtime. I need to be eating cause it's been six hours. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm wondering if, if, I'm not getting hungry until then. Does that mean that my portions are too big at breakfast and I should try to dial that down so I get hungry earlier or, um, or should I just be, or is that like totally doable? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think it's, I think it's important to be hungry when we sit down for a meal. So if, and, and really, you know, it's, we're, we're going to be hungry when we've burned up the fuel that we previously ate for the most part, you know, to put it very basically during the day. Mm -hmm. So if your breakfast comes, or excuse me, if your lunchtime comes before you're, you're really ready for lunch, your body's ready for lunch, then you can absolutely cut back a little bit on breakfast. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a great thing to do. Um, not dramatically, you know, maybe just very slightly see if you can trim away on some of the portions just mm -hmm. until you're, you're hungry for lunch not starving, but ready to eat, you know, that would, that's important. Uh, and then that'll kind of help you just eat a little bit more intuitively and then start getting in 
the right amount of nutrients for you. Something else that I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it, but um, really mostly for everybody else listening, but also I, I think it's important to audit how much nat- good fats are on your plate. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of your, of your monthly cycle, I would try to make sure you have at least one to two tablespoons worth of healthy fat on your plate at every meal. So whether that is part of an avocado or a good drizzle of olive oil dressing, or maybe it's a piece of really nice fatty salmon that you cooked in butter um, with some sort of a nice sauce, right? I would, I yeah. would not be afraid of the fat also. Okay. Um, yeah, because sometimes I'm like, you know, if I eat, if I eat, from six to six thirty, then maybe I should be getting hungry around ten thirty. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's not really lunchtime. So yeah, I definitely I'll definitely uh work with the portions and see kind of um how I can tweak that a little. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, something that and, and you can always try to shift up the plate in general. Breakfast salads are one of my favorite things to eat early in the morning if I want something nice and big, but not that's going to keep me full for seven hours, mm-hmm. you know? Um, then you get to have still a big breakfast because there's a big pile of greens underneath, but you still have the protein and the fat and the carbohydrates that you wanted on top of it. Gotcha. Awesome. I will definitely um, look into that and hopefully figure out figure out those portion sizes. I think that's my biggest downfall um, currently is I, I eat pretty, uh, pretty clean, but I definitely, my eyes are bigger than my stomach. So um, I hear you. Definitely something I'm working on. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you've got a really great handle on things and I cannot wait to get updates from you. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for taking this time. It really means the world. I'm a huge fan of you and I actually heard about you from Julie Bauer. So, oh. <laughs> um, so yeah, love you both. Um, and I really, I just really appreciate this. Oh my gosh. It is so my pleasure, Bridget. Thank you so much for making the time out of your schedule to come and chat with us today. I know this was a really helpful conversation for all kinds of folks. So it, it means a lot. And to everybody listening, thanks so much for dialing in. As always, you can find the complete transcript of today's show over at fedandfit.com. And as always, we'll be back again next week.